0: Let's get started with today, um, our learning time, First Corinthians chapter 12. I'll start with a story. Once upon a time, once upon a time, there was a collection of houses that lived, uh, cute little houses that lived at the end of a block in a cul-de-sac, and the street was called Church Street. And at Church Street, the, the people that lived in that cul-de-sac, they were just connected with each other, they, they formed a community. They lived like, you know, a village. They raised each other's children. It was, like extended family, actually. If I had to say anything about the cul-de-sac on Church Street, I'd say it was enchanted. It was enchanting to live there. And then on Christmas Eve, a curse came upon the children in that little cul-de-sac. And as they slept, they were like, their souls were touched with selfishness and pride and envy independence and as they slept those curses set into them and this is Christmas Eve mind you so they woke up the next morning and then when they ran out in in their living rooms to open presents they they were given great gifts uh like board games and 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 cards and hungry hippo to play indoors when it's raining and then they got a ball and wiffle ball bats and some of the kids they didn't even open their gifts again don't know why, but they didn't even open their gifts. And instead of like running out in the cul-de-sac with like they usually do and just playing, and it becomes a giant playground. They all ran outside and didn't play with anyone. They just kept their toys to themselves. They wouldn't share. They envied other people's toys. They wishes they had something else. They therefore couldn't enjoy their own toys. They, they just wanted to be alone because they were Too proud to say, you want to play my game or or can I play your game? So they just played all by themselves. There was no fun on that day. There was no joy in Christmas because they were cursed. Because of the spell. And that's not all. They started complaining. They started saying things like, you know, I don't even like this gift. I wish I had Billy's gift. A Couple of the children turned on their own parents and said, you're not even good parents to give me this kind of gift. So the parents are watching all this happening and they're wondering, what has happened? What do we do? And they realized that they had been cursed. So they gathered together and they prayed away the spirit of selfishness and pride and individuality and envy and the curse was released and he sat down with the children. And they said, we gave you these gifts to share with each other so everyone would have a good time. And the children said, what? And they did. They returned to having fun with one another. They played games outside. They enjoyed their in, like, interaction together. And the parents said, let me show you how this is supposed to look. And this is Hungry Hungry Hippo. And they showed them how to play that. I think they're doing that on women's uh, game night, as a matter of fact, so that could be pretty exciting. And they lived happily ever after, using their gifts to serve and enjoy with one another. Now, it doesn't sound like a very veiled like uh, parable about the church, but that's how it is a lot of times with actual churches. The gifts that God give us, right? And we use, we're supposed to use those gifts. Sometimes we don't even unwrap those gifts. Today's topic is about gifts from the Holy Spirit. And they have tremendous power and potential, but not if we're selfish or proud or envious or trying to live independent with one another. Paul is so dedicated and wants us all to understand the potential of the power of these gifts and how gracious God is to give it, give these gifts to us that he spends three chapters on the gifts and he starts with this. Verse one, and now about the gifts of the spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so the first part, chapter 12, it has three major parts. And the first part is what is answers the question, what what is a spiritual gift? What is a spiritual gift? And broadly speaking, it's part of something bigger. And that is the organizational structure of the church that is the greatest organization of all time, because it's not like a corporate organization. It is an organization brought to us by God himself, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. He gave us this system when it's used and it's been in existence for 2000 years it has the potential of creating community and connection that transcends culture continent and civilizations it has been very effective because when the gifts are used in the context of humility and servanthood and interdependence with each other heaven is the limit the strategy of giving gifts was to empower the individuals inside the church to use those gifts together with each other in unity to get God's work done. Every single believer has gifts, a gift or multiple gifts that are spiritual and the purpose of these gifts are or to define them are like supernatural attributes, God powered. They're they're like God chosen to give you these gifts. So that when you use them, the results are profound. Something happens within the user of the gift in that they feel like joy and the fulfillment in the way God made them. They feel the presence of God in that context. And then the recipient of those gifts, that person's feeling like they're being touched by God as well. They're they're receiving the grace of God through a member of the church. And so God gives these various gifts. There's too many to mention today in our teaching time, but some people have the gift of hospitality. Sometimes they're just out there working in our lobby and somehow, A spiritual gift is when someone puts in two ducats worth of energy and they get 10 ducats out. I mean, only a spiritual equation works that way. And when they say hi, people feel greeted. People with uh, gift of encouragement have the ability sometimes to hear what's being said at a deeper level and able to respond by giving just the right tender words to encourage. People with the gift of teaching, they are are teaching at this level, but the reception is at, at, at this level. It's just something about it that you can't explain when someone just serves the church and they get eternal consequences because of of their willingness to serve. Paul wants us to know that these gifts are important and they're powerful and they're intentional. They're all part of God's sovereign plan. So much so that when he talks about the gifts, he's going to say, no, no, no. It is the Trinity itself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're involved in selection and the giving itself. Look what it says in 12.4. Now, there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit that distributes them. Now, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There's different kinds of working, but all of them and everyone, it is the same God at work. See how there's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit there? They're all strategically giving the gifts, See how there's multiple different kinds of gifts? It says there's different gifts, there's different service, there's different working, but all the same God. The theme of chapter 12 is unity in the context of diversity. Unity in diversity, and I think Paul's saying, just like the Trinity. The Trinity, it's individual parts of the Godhead, but they all work together. They're different, and they work together to be the same thing. So the first application, what is a spiritual gift? Do you want to know what your spiritual gifts are? Well, here's what I'd like you to consider doing is go on on to our website, grace360.org, go under the service section to serve here. And then I think if you go all the way down to the end of that page, it will have a link to spiritual gifts. And that'll take you to a website. that will give you a very easy quiz and it'll walk you through the definitions of the various gifts and how you can like apply those. It'll tell as you go through that, Like, pray before you start and just say, Lord God, since the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have given me these gifts, could you help me answer these questions? Is this the gift you gave me? Spirit, can you remind me of events that have taken place in my life that would show me one way or the other if I have this gift or not this gift? And you'll find that you're probably going to come up with a top two or three on the questionnaire of what the probability is of what these gifts from God are, and then you take them out for a test drive and see if they work. And maybe you come back to take the test again. But the point is, the answer to the question, do you want to know your gifts? The answer, go to our website, take the, the test and see what they are. So the first part is find out your gift. The second part of spiritual gifts in chapter 12 is to show us that the spiritual gifts are to work in unity, like to do God, to get God's work done, to get God's work done. Verse seven says, now to each person, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So we're all supposed to be getting a gift, all to be working in unity for the common good, to get the the work of the church done. Let the kingdom be expanded. And what he's saying is like your gift is not to be ignored, left unwrapped. It It is not to be, that we're not, to be given so that some people get to show off and draw the attention to themselves, look at all that I'm doing. The gifts are not given so that a a certain class of gift recipients are higher than another group of people. No, each person is given a gift. No one has all the gifts. But what I want you to see here again is the, the weight and the value of these special gifts. Like, again, if you can imagine these gifts from God on Christmas morning, he's saying it's all part of a sovereign plan, a detailed sovereign plan. Look what he says in verse 11. Uh, all these are works from one and the same Spirit, that Spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he has determined. It says here, the Spirit has determined. Determine which gifts go to which person. And all of those gifts are to be shared with one another so that we can work together. Because each gift, each recipient of that gift, they have a vital position in the church. We are all like we're all kind of cogs, and if one cog isn't there, the watch doesn't work anymore. And Paul is saying here, like the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, this is all of this is all for us to enjoy working in the ambitions of God, unity in the context of diversity, working together so that we appreciate one another. And when we work together in a church, we bless the church, we bless, you get blessed because you're being used by God. And then the people that, like I said before, the recipients are receiving a touch from God. We are the voice, the hands, the, the, the ears of God. So, the application for the second part of what we need to be learning, the first application is find your gift. The second application is to use your gift. And where would you use your church, your gift? In the church, in the church. It takes hundreds of volunteers to have a Sunday event here. I mean, there's literally hundreds of people that are needed just for our children's ministry. So there's plenty of opportunities. And I would say what, one of the things that, that, especially the way our church is structured, What we would love to see more of is mentors because our church is structured for mentors, always looking for opportunities for people to invest in your life. The problem is, is everybody wants their life invested in, but no one wants to do the investing. And here's why, here's the the pushback most of the time. I'm just not ready to be like a mentor. I mean, I gotta get some stuff worked out. I gotta maybe in a couple more years and then I can do it. Personally, I don't, I don't know how to respond to that. I, and some of it has to do with my, my Christian experience. Here's, here's how it happened for me. I'm a fan of the model, by the way. I when I, like, Right around when I was 20 years old, I uh, finally like, understood the gospel for me. Like, it was preached to me regularly, but I didn't get it. And then when I did get it, I wanted to know more about what it meant. And so I found myself, it was at the University of Texas, so I found myself in a university ministry that's today known as Crew, Back then it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. And they had a mentoring structure. And so they handed me off to a guy that I was living with in the same dorm and he'd been a Christian for a long time, like almost 12 months. <laughs> the mentor is 12 months old. And the, the, like the, the ministry training style of Crew was and probably still is on the job training. And so one of my first assignments for my mentor was we went uh, and, and just asked people around our, our neighborhood, found a woman next door that wanted to have spiritual conversations. And one of her questions was, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in her life? And so we went over there and, uh, and, and my friend Bill gave me a little pamphlet thing to help me underst- teach through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in her life. Now, the problem was that I had no idea what the ministry of the Holy Spirit was. And so as I'm reading the booklet, I'm being informed with every page. And so the the woman is right here, and I'm I'm having her just focus on the book. And underneath, I was like doing this. Help me. I don't know what's happening here. And he just sat there and watched. He had a great time. Here's here's what happened that day, the end of the day. First, no one got hurt. Two, two different people found out about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in her life. That woman across the street from us and me. The point is, is that you you can only grow in your walk with Christ so far as a spectator. Without being engaged, you plateau early. As the fact of the matter is, you cannot grow in your life with Christ without using your spiritual gifts in the service of the body of Christ. That's just a fact. And so you don't get ready to be a mentor. We start, men- we start mentors in fifth grade here. We have a mentor of the little bitty kids. So if you're over 30, man, that's awesome. You could mentor some of the singles, uh, men and women in our, in our church. As you could go work in our youth ministry or our children's ministry. In youth ministry, you'd be like a rock star. You won't be, but you'll think you are, and that'll be great. You'll, but the point is, if you don't get involved in ministry, this is true. you cannot grow in your, You cannot grow in your life with Christ without using your spiritual gifts in the service of the body of Christ. So you need to get out there if you're in your 30s. If you're over, you're over 40, you're sitting down. This might be the first time someone's told you this, but you're getting old. I know you don't feel old, but when you were 20 and you looked at a 40-year-old, you went, man, they're old. But the four, that decade is a great decade. It's the beginning of your wisdom. That You are full with information, whether it's from success or failure, and you could be a men- marriage mentor. You could be a premarital counselor. You could go through reengage and become a reengage mentor. You could serve as a mentor in our brand new marriage class. You got all kinds of wisdom for those. Uh, maybe the new families class, get involved. Show what happens when you use your gifts to, to, to work and to serve in the, in the local church. Because here's the thing, you cannot grow in your life with Christ without using your spiritual gifts to serve the body of Christ. You over 50, man, there's the most teachable group of people here on campus, parenting teens. Oh my goodness, they're so afraid, they're just coming to terms with they were never in control in the first place and there are no right answers. And then you swoop in at over 50 years old and you're saying, they're there, let's pray through this. You can teach them how to pray effectively because working isn't working. And if you don't do that, you can't grow because you cannot grow in your life with Christ without using your spiritual gifts in the service of the body. you over 60. You get to mentor the mentors. You could, the, these mentors that we've talked about previously, they are looking for someone to fill their cup because their cup is draining. And so you get to step in and say, let me help you. I can work with you through these various trials of life. And I'll do that whether I'm 60 or 70 or 80 because I know this. Well, let's just all read this together out loud. I cannot grow, look at the pronoun here. I, everyone, I cannot grow in my life with Christ without using spiritual service of the body of Christ. So if you're looking for a way to find out how you can get connected and serve in this context here at Grace, you, go, you can go outside uh, to our lobby, and there's a Connect card there, and fill that out, and one of the, our leadership people will get back to you, or you can go online, I think it's grace360.org connect, fill that card out and say, I'm ready to serve. I, I want to grow in my walk with Christ. I've been given these precious gifts by the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I think I've been putting them to waste, so let's get going here. All right, here's our outline. Discover what your gifts are. Use the gifts of the Spirit in unity with the rest of the people involved to get God's work done. And the third point here in chapter 12 is spiritual gifts are to promote unity, like interdependence with each other in the body of Christ. There's there's a part of the gifts of the Spirit that a little bit like God is a rascal in that we have to work together or nothing will work at all. And so God has set it up so that no one has all the gifts and everybody has a gift, so that we have to work together as a body of Christ. And so it's interesting is Paul's gonna use probably one of his largest illustrations in all of his writing to explain how we work together in unity, all the while being diversified with differences. And so he's gonna use the human body as a metaphor, as an analogy of how unity and diversity work together. Look what he says in verse 12. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. Well, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized into one spirit, so as to form one body, whether the Jews or the Gentiles or slaves or free. And we were also given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. This is the university, uh, unity and diversity uh, aspect here. And today, we do one or the other, but can't seem to do both. We'll have unity at the expense of diversity. We just dilute diversity and, and, and don't bring up your differences. Or we'll say, sure, tell me, express all your differences, but now we can't be unified because if you don't vote like me or act like me or come from my background, you're dead to me. And so Paul is saying, look, here's how the, spirit, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have set this up. It's set up in a way that you guys can celebrate your diversity in the context of your unity. And your diversity actually serves your unity, just like your human body does, just like the Trinity does. Remember the, how we started this in verses 4 through 6? Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. Yeah, they're making it work, and so can you. We're like, we're a byproduct of that. Unity and diversity. The tragic irony of the gifts of the spirit is the very things that God has given us to make us work together and to unify us is often the very thing that divides us. It splits us up and that grieves the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because (laughs) we're using instruments of of love (laughs) for hate. And so Paul comes in and says, let me show you how this is done. This look, this is the story of how your body works. He continues with the illustration, but he's focusing this time on what we have in common. I'm looking at 13 and 14 again, but look what we have in common in contrast to what we have in difference. He says, you were all baptized in by one spirit uh, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles or slaves or Greeks, You were all, I'm sorry, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up of one part, is not made up of one part, but of many. Paul's saying, look what you have in common, and then you can enjoy your diversity. What does he say? Very like uh, experiential vocabulary here. You've been baptized by this one spirit. Look, you guys all got this together. Then he says, you also get to drink from this one spirit. So in light of how important the church is, in light of the thing that you have in common, and that is the spirit of God that you're baptized into, that you are drinking from, then (laughs) like viva la difference, enjoy the difference between Jews and Gentiles, between economic differences uh, in this context, I think it means slave versus free man whatever it might be. You don't have to dilute your diversities. You just focus on what you have in common, like working together, interconnected to do God's will. Sure. The body is like the church. It will thrive. It only thrives if individual diverse parts are enjoyed and appreciated as they work together. Look, what he, there are two implications of of this passage, of these passages here. Like one of them is in the context of unity and diversity is, is one of them is don't dismiss the gift that God has given you. You know, the child that didn't open his present on Christmas I don't, yeah. or I don't like this gift, you're a bad parent. Look what he says in verse 12, uh, 15 and on. He says, now if the foot were to say, ah, uh, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body it, wouldn't, it would not be for this reason to stop being part of the body. Or if the ear would say, uh, because I'm not an eye, I, I wish I were an eye, I, I do not belong to the body. It would not be for this reason to stop being part of the body. You're still part of the body, if, even if you don't like the body part you are. We all have to, again, physical body. Some of you are old enough to know what happens when one of your body parts says, I'm done. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even like being this anymore. Right? There's a lot of laughter. Okay, you know what that's like. I mean, your kidney's like, all I do is filter fluids. I've got nothing to show for it, really. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna start making rocks. (laughs) That's, That's what I'm gonna do. And the rest of your body says, no, 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 no. No, no, you're good. You're good, like we love you just the way you are. You're killing it, you're doing great. Don't make any more rocks. That's what he's saying here. Enjoy the way God made you, the gift he gave you, and do it well. Look what he says in verse 18. But but in fact, but in fact, God has placed the part in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God sovereignly chose to pick you and put this gift inside. The second consequence of this is not to dismiss your own, but to dismiss other people's gifts. So he picks that up in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. And <laughs> Paul's talking like, yeah, the flashy parts, they can get cocky sometimes. And the eye says, ah, I don't need the hand, I'm the eye. And then suddenly an eyelash falls in that eye. And the hand says, how do you like me now? I can't wait to see what the foot's going to do to help you out because he's a little clumsy application is pretty clear. Every person has a gift and every gift matters. And then we're all independent with each other. And just because the quiet gifts are quiet doesn't mean they're non-essential doesn't mean they're less valuable. As a matter of fact, some of those are the ones that are most valuable. Could I just pause and just say this like our tech team or whatever the official title is for everything electric that happens here, they're behind the scenes, quite literally in their own room behind a closed door. But, but, oh, like we really appreciated what happens like during the the pandemic where they completely rebuilt the entire sound system and digitized it and then rebuilt the video system and the cameras. And then when we started uploading and we're breaking the internet, we rewired everything. I'm not Talk, I don't know what I'm talking about, but they just kept redoing the internet until all that worked, right? And because of the people behind the scenes that kind of a lot of times like to stay quiet, we are able to broadcast quite literally all over the world, but there's a lot of people come watching our church online around the country. There's people watching in Austin right now that aren't able to make it here. You in this audience are enjoying the sounds and the lights and the worship, all of that. And it's because of these gifts that are quiet, but are absolutely essential. Could we thank our tech team right now? <clears throat> Unity is this. If it's a formula, it looks like this. Unity is humility plus interdependence. This, this need, see, the, the interdependence makes you humble towards your needs. I've got to have these other people in my life. And so look what it says in 25 and 26. There should be no division in the body, but but that its parts should all have equal concern for each other. If one one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. It's a team win. It's a team pain. No time for smugness. There's no no time for self-pity. We're too busy being connected to each other with this common baptism and this common living water of the spirit that we drink from. Now, before we move on to the final application, I want want us to just stop and pause, and I want you to see for the third time, I think, the power of these gifts being brought to us by the supreme sovereignty of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sovereignty means that God has a plan, well, good for him, but he has the power to make the plan happen. And so watch what happens when you put some of these verses next to each other. The first one is is verse 11 where it says, all all of these are are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes each of them just as he determines. So the spirit decided this before the world was started. And then verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts uh, in the body, every one of them just as he wanted to. And now you put this, like God, we got spirit, we've got father, and now we're going to add something from another book called Ephesians, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God had prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 is like one of the flags we fly here regularly, that the ministry is yours. I'm just a pastor, but you're a minister. I'm a, you're the players, I'm a player coach. And the the point of, you look at those verses, those are statements of fact. That the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit arranged before time that you could exist anytime and anywhere, and he puts you here right now. And those first two verses say, and he gave you a gift or gifts to set you up to do good works that he arranged before time began. To do the king's work, this is what sovereignty looks like. Arranging people, places, and events. He could have placed you in any neighborhood, in any village, in any time, in any part of the world. And he put you here. And that's why every believer is a minister. Because in God's infinite wisdom, he gave you your job where you work to be with the people you work with. He put you in your neighborhood to be... Becoming a minister, you're the the chaplain for that whole street. Your kid's soccer or football team is purposeful for this kingdom work. When we see God's work being like rolled out in front of us and see kind of, I guess, the weight of it all, the weight of it being the blessedness of it. So be the body. Be the one that gets, like, be the part of the body that God has designed you to be and be a giver. You know what you call someone who just takes from the body and just lives off it? It's a parasite. It's not a gift from God. There's no gift of parasitism. And so you need to be serving the body, the body. It's interesting that when you look at the passage in verse 12, it's, he, he's showing us how much of the body of Christ we are. Look, Look at what it says, let me just slow it down. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with, you'd think he'd say, so it is with the church, but he doesn't say the church. He says, so it is with Christ. Christ's body is us. (laughs) That's what he's saying, Christ's body is us. We're the ones that are bringing Christ into these places of work and neighborhood and, and, and hobbies and all that. We're the body of Christ. We're like a, a living organization. Take the organization away. That's what corporate does. We're a living being. We're a living body. We don't like when you try to incorporate a church, I don't know that's a popular thing, you're ruining it. Because we're supposed to be a living organism. And so when shepherd, shepherd, and when encouragers encourage and when servants serve and, and when all of that is working, everybody knows their, their parts and they're playing them well, God is glorified and ministry happens. We have, uh, we have, we have people reading to elementary schools all over the city because of education connection because we're working together, right? In, in our battle with what do we do with the homeless? Turn it over to the government? How'd that work? And so like, we built two houses down there in the, in the village and I think even a, 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 a corporate shower area because, the, because grace, the generosity of people at this church. We have missionaries all over the world. Our mobilization that's going on is fascinating in that <laughs> college educated, like a lot of successful people are going into prisons, God of Hope Ministries that many of our people here at church are involved in and lead and are bringing the gospel to prisoners. Why does that happen? Because people are humbly desiring to see the sovereignty of God worked out in their lives. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves, and they want to see the joy of being used by God and seeing what happens when somebody is touched by Christ. I mean Christ's body. I mean the body of Christ. And when that happens, there's no recovering. So if you're involved in leading a life group or you're shepherding some little children down there, walking them or pushing them in a stroller, if you're giving to our church or holding babies, I'll just, I'm gonna speak for the leadership here. We are eternally grateful for that. And there's eternal rewards for you. And not only are you growing in Christ because that's how you grow in your relationship with Christ is by using your spiritual gifts to serve the church, but you're blessing other people. You're blessed and you are a blessing. So thank you for using your gifts at grace. You're making some everlasting things take place. And sometimes you guys make it look easy. So God bless you. No, really, may God bless you. Let me pray. Lord, I do want to ask that you would bless uh, the members of this body, that they would enjoy the gifts that you've given them and even come to a place in their life where they could see your sovereignty work in their life so the bad and the good, the losses and the wins, the temperaments and the gifts are all part of a grand scheme so that we would be more effective in being that unique body part so that we could be interdependent and enjoy the ministry that you have to expand the kingdom. So, Lord, I'd ask that you continue to bless us and bless us indeed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.